Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. afternoon or whatever it's morning for us so yeah. <laughs> we're both a little groggy good day morning I was up late last night with some friends that came over for Corey's birthday so Aww. I'm also not 100% awake <laughs> yeah how was his birthday it was good we just you know did little small stuff mm-hmm. um this year because we got invited to yet another wedding so Jesus, we never end. So yeah, we're trying to save money. Uh- <laughs> fair. Very fair. Um, how was uh, iCast? It was good. Uh, overall, it was good. It's always exhausting, though. And I had some support this year, but uh, not as much as last year. So I personally just very felt um, like the Lone Ranger and... Mm-hmm it's a lot for one person to do. So did you get any swag? Got a lot of swag. Yeah. Um, a lot of hats, a lot of koozies, (laughs) a lot of, a lot of shirts. Um, I got my boyfriend a lot of stuff this year. Um, and you know, some free stuff was thrown in there too. Well, I mean, most of it was free. Uh, some of it was like $5 donation or like, you know, mm-hmm. half off or something than it would be retail price. So yeah. Yeah. He, um, he has a history of taking my Yetis for his coffee and then like mm-hmm. keeping them at his house. And now that he's moving out of his place, he like gave them back to me. And I was like, thank you. Like now I have my Yetis back again. <laughs> and but it was funny because at um, at iCast, Yeti is one of the vendors that are there. And at like four o'clock, there's happy hours at all these different exhibits. And Yeti is one of them. And what they do is they give you a, um, I don't have it in here, but they give you a stackable Yeti cup. So it's like the newer model where it's mm-hmm. like, it's like more narrow at the bottom and then it like bevels out at the top. Mm-hmm. but it, but it's still 16 ounces. Um, and so last year I got one in white and it was like $20, uh, per cup. And then this year I got two and they're like in the Navy blue color. And, um, I didn't know you could get more than one. Like I walked up to their, their counter and they were like, okay, like how many cups do you want? I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they're like, I was like, I can have more than one. Cause what they do is like, they pour the beer in the Yeti mm-hmm. cup. So like you're, you're paying $20 for it and there there's, I think is the only happy hour that you need to pay for, or maybe there's another one that you need to pay for, but that one's like the most expensive one, but you're getting a Yeti cup, a beer and a free hat. So like, yeah, it all, even, it all evens out. Like you're spending $20 for that. So I'm like, that's fair. And online, those cups are $30. So mm-hmm. you're getting a good deal. So I was like, Oh, I'll have two if I can. And I'll just have beer in the one. <laughs> Cause it's like, I'm giving one of my boyfriends. So you can stop taking my Yetis. <laughs> um, and he has some of his own too, but I guess they're just older and he doesn't like to use them as much, but, uh, he's actually, we've actually decided he's going to move in and live with me since he's been kind of low key kicked out of his place. Oh, really? So 
Yeah. So that's, you know, the next big relationship step, which is, yeah, I'm excited. I'm not worried about it. Okay. Um, we get along well. And I told him, he's like, you're not nervous. And I told him like, if we can spend a week literally together, like 24 seven sick with COVID and not like fight, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll survive living together. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was nervous when Corey moved in with me because I'm such an independent person. And so I was just like, oh my God, this is going to end my relationship. But honestly, like, I feel like you need to do it with somebody you actually care about and like want to continue to have like a long-term potentially, you know, marriage relationship with, Mm -hmm. um, because you need to know what the fuck they do when they're alone at home and like what their habits are and see if you can live with them. Yeah. And if you like love the person, like oftentimes you can get over some stuff, but it is like, it's also good because then you figure out like how, you know, you like to split up chores and, you Uh know, do they actually fucking clean or are you going to have to teach them how to clean? And well, yeah, well, thankfully he's uh, seen and heard me rant about my former roommate who did not clean very much. (laughs) So I think he has an idea of what I expect when it comes to cleaning the house. (laughs) And I will say he's pretty like on par with my cleaning standard too. Like he definitely is the one in that cleans and stuff. And he like will wipe down counters. And I mean, he even gets on my ass sometimes about stuff. And I'm like, dude, I know just I've been busy. Like, (laughs) (laughs) get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. With with men, it's kind of a a toss up whether they actually have like any kind of standards or like some some dudes like their moms never made them clean before or because they're in college they're like I don't got I don't have to do anything and it's like oh gross Corey was not like that he's just he can create some clutter though but he definitely yeah that's the thing too is like clutter and yeah that's there's a difference between clutter and clean and there is a house can be clean, but there can still be clutter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, so yeah, that's the next big life update. So ICAST was fun. Um, I'm exhausted from it. And, you know, I can dive into a little bit more of the sticking points with you off air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't rant too much about it, but there were definitely mm-hmm. some, some moments where I was frustrated, but overall oh. it was, okay. it, overall it was a good time. It was just very exhausting. Yeah. I came back Friday night, Saturday. I just was like very tired. And then today I'm still just kind of tired. It's one of those things where like, you know, I'm still in the process of moving and unpacking. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I still have to do things and I'm just trying to find the energy I know to do all of it. So yeah, I feel you. I feel like my weekends lately have just been for like, I just have not wanted to do anything because I've been doing so much physical stuff during the week that like nothing's getting done around the house yeah (laughs) I know and like my dad's been so great he's been like mulching some spots in the yard and like Mm -hmm. reorganizing like the and just organizing in general the shed that's downstairs underneath the house and you know storing things away and um my mom's been like you know cooking dinners and stuff so it's been nice to have like at least that part has been like mentally taken care of yeah and I don't need to worry about that um but yeah, it's just like I'm in my room today so they can have like the rest of the house, like, you know, mosey on about and have mm-hmm. their day. But like in my room, I'm like looking around me and like my bed is surrounded by boxes and bags and I'm mm-hmm. just like, <laughs> it's driving me insane. Yeah, so, yeah, just take it like a little bit at a time. You know what I mean? Like, because you're going to be here in this house for a while. Yeah, I know. I'm like not worried about it. I'm not on a time crunch. So ICAST was good. Long story short, ICAST was fine. Uh, got got a lot of swag. And then over the last year, we've been like keeping in touch with uh, the guys over at Toadfish. You know, those that mm-hmm. brand that has like the sticking can coolies. Um, and they're really great. So they give us discounts on stuff on the last day. And then one of them walked over as we were leaving and was like, hey, we're getting rid of, um, you know, these like crab and lobster sets like 
we have three of them left. I'll have you guys fight over them. So I got one of those for free, which is nice because <laughs> they're like, they're like $80 retail. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Or something like that. Like I got my dad a coastal dining set last year and I got it for $40, but retail it's like $80. I'm assuming nice. the crab and lobster ones are like the same. Yeah. So yeah. My boyfriend was like, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, uh, use it like, <laughs> There's spiny lobsters down here that you're going to catch me. We're going to eat them. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, go yeah. catch me some spinies. <laughs> I know. And spiny lobster season is, or the mini season is coming up in a couple of days and he has to work that. And that's always a nightmare. Like mm. I would recommend if you are a local boater who is not lobstering, just stay off the water. Just do it. Don't spiny go out there. lobster is like so good though. It's it delicious. Is. Like. I think I might like it more than regular, like a yeah. American lobster. Like it is very good. My old yeah. roommate used to work in the spiny lobster research department with uh, the state of Florida, and she would come home with lobster tails every now and then because they just like you know had to take them for research yeah. or like they dissected them and then you know you get the rest of it or something. So. I was like, man, when she left, I was like, I'm gonna miss that part. <laughs> yeah, because most of the because I do invert research too. And like most of the sampling that you have to do is up in like the thorax section, like where mm-hmm. all of the organs and stuff are. So you usually have leftover like tail meat essentially. And if you're sampling any of that, you just have to take a small little sample and then the rest is like, you could eat it. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, why not? So that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, how are you? Good. Just, uh, things are calming back down at work, getting, That's you know, good. kind of my sampling routine together for the eels, um, coming up on one month of that. So we're going to actually run a PCR to see if we're getting any hits or, you know, making sure the PCR assay works mm-hmm. like it did a couple months ago when I ran it for practice. Um, so, you know, just stuff like that. Other That's than fair. that, we're just kind of taking it easy because it's just so hot outside down here. It, it, yeah, it's so hot here too. Like yesterday when I came home, I I was still having like, you know, some hormonal storm issues. Um, and I came home and I was like, man, I really need to eat something because like I just am unwell and I need to eat something. And like, my dad is just so cute. He's just so excited to be down here and like in the house and you know, be around and everything. And so I come home and like, I think it must've been like for the next three hours, he just like was not stop talking to me. Like we were just going back and forth and he's like, this is what I did to the yard. This is what I want to do. You got to tell me what you want to do. Like, you know, just like, you're over always- here like low key yeah. blessing out. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I walked in, like the first thing I said, when I walked in, I was like, guys, I, I really got to eat something real quick. Like, sorry. And like, and he, then he like gets distracted and he like takes me over to the yard to show me what he did. And then we're outside for like an hour and a half, like looking at the storage unit, like walking around the yard. I'm like, dad, I really got to eat something. He's like, okay, but one more thing. I'm like, I really have to like, <laughs> eat something. <laughs> so it's just cute. Um, how all that is. Um, all right. but yeah, we can get going if you're ready to get going. Yeah. I actually have a couple of news stories. Uh, I'll let you pick. which one we do so there have been a series of shark attacks on long island oh and then there have there's also a 17th century spanish shipwreck discovered off the oregon coast so which one sounds spanish shipwreck sounds fun there have been a lot of shark attacks not a lot but a handful in florida like they've just been more common I guess like I don't know if you heard the story of the girl that was scalloping that got mm-hmm. bitten like I'll keep it short so you can read the shipwreck story but like this girl was scalloping with her family which is a thing that everybody does in Florida during this time of year mm-hmm. and I think it was a bull shark maybe a lemon shark I don't know what shark but a shark came up bit her in the leg just like and she didn't see it coming and um her brother was there and he's an EMT so thankfully like he took care of her. They got her to the hospital. She's fine. Yeah. But, um, at ICAST, there is this product, uh, exhibit company called, uh, shark bands. Mm-hmm. Sure you've heard of them. So they were there. They actually work with my organization on their research. 
So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. Like, so I went over to introduce myself. I was like, hey, like I work for these people. I'm down doing this side of uh, research, but um, super neat that you guys work with us on all this. And like, they actually work. Um, apparently there's this uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife guy who has them, who is talking mm-hmm. to us. And he like spearfishes all the time. He wears them all the time. And he's like, he called it science voodoo. He's like, I don't know if it's science voodoo, but like, I've never had a problem. They come around me all the time and like, they just swim away. He's like, it's crazy. I don't know if it's science voodoo, but, um, one of the girls that was working in the booth with me, she goes scalloping and she's telling me, she's like, I'm nervous to go scalloping after that girl, like got attacked. And so she went over and bought one of those shark bands. And I was like, you have to let me know how that works. Cause yeah. my boyfriend spearfishes. I was like, I might get him one of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically sure. what, what that one boiled down to was they think there's like a lot more bait fish, like Menhaden and stuff mm-hmm. on the East gotcha. coast this year for whatever gotcha. reason. And so they're out fishing, but the, the sharks are, but there's also a ton of people in the water because it's summer. And so yeah, it's just bound more. to happen. So, all right. But yeah, so let's get into this shipwreck. So this is off the Oregon coast, which is the West coast. Rocky. Yeah. Um, and it is a Manila galleon from the Philippines when mm-hmm. Spain uh, colonized the Philippines. Okay. So, but it ended up off the coast of Oregon. Um, the ship vanished. It was supposed to be going to Mexico in 1693. So this is an old ship. Old, old ship. There were no really, I don't think, white people in Oregon at this time. Yeah. Because I... we had just started colonizing like the East Coast. I was about to point. ask like when the Oregon Trail was oh that was like 1800 so oh okay yeah so this is like this is like around the same time we were doing like jamestown and then plymouth rock Mm -hmm. and like all those very early colonization attempts um on the east coast but so this is like wild so in 19 sorry not 19 1693 (laughs) A little dyslexic. It's fine. I am. I am actually (laughs) dyslexic. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Never mind. Uh, It's not funny. (laughs) No, it is. It's hilarious. Um, The Santo Cristo de Burgos, which is a Manilian gallon, Manila galleon loaded with silk, porcelain, and beeswax, set sail from the Philippines on a trading expedition to Mexico, but the ship and its valuable cargo never reached its destination. Bum, bum, bum. I know. Instead, the vessel ended up shipwrecked off the coast of Oregon, becoming one of roughly 3,000 ships lost in this region to date. Oh, wow. Um, over the next two centuries or so, explorers, merchants, indigenous peoples, and scholars um, and locals traded stories about this wreck, which was occasionally visible along the Oregon shoreline, like when the tide went out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they would also find um, lumps of beeswax um, that they found on the coast that were washed up. Um, lumps of beeswax. Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of uses for beeswax, like back in the day. There for sure is. I just like my dumb ass was like, oh, Philippines and bees. That's, yeah, that, that's a thing. Yeah, they got bees. <laughs> there's bees everywhere. <laughs> I know. I'm just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the fate of the trip's crew is unclear but indigenous oral histories suggest that some of these crewmen actually survived this disaster oh wow which is interesting the other thing this is reminding me of is when we did the lost franklin uh expedition oh yeah when they relied on like inuit oral histories to like actually figure out what may have happened to all of them so so basically um they have recently, like last week, um, a team spearheaded by the Maritime Archaeological Society successfully recovered a dozen timbers from the wooden hole. 
Um, the find makes the vessel only one of only three Manila, Manila galleons identified on the North American West Coast, and as well as just one of three in the world with surviving wood pieces that haven't decomposed yet. Wow, that's neat. Yeah, so it's like really cool, really cool stuff. And the society's uh, president, Scott Williams, said, I was convinced it was driftwood. To think that a 300-year-old ship timbers could survive the Oregon coast was just crazy. Um, Yeah. So then, however, testing revealed that the timbers came from an Asian tropical hardwood felled in the mid to late 17th century. um, And the result prompted Williams and his colleagues to take a closer look at the rocky caves on the coastline. And they discovered... Uh, they confirmed his con- suspicions that summer, but were unable to retrieve those pieces as the caves were only accessible via water or a rock scramble. Um, so uh, thanks to weather and COVID related delays, the official recovery mission funded by Nat Geo didn't take place till June 13th. Um, and they were able to secure the timbers just before, um, high tide. So they were able to get those out of the surrounding caves. Um, so though the wooden pieces are significant find, William tells the archaeologists, uh, haven't found what we would call the wreck. We don't know if something like the wreck exists. Pieces of the galleon's lower hull could still be hidden nearby, and the team hopes to uncover additional whole fragments from other caves in the near future. Uh, will this answer the big questions? Probably not, says marine archaeologist James Delgado. Um, but it's another step in the process that could potentially lead to further discovery. So pretty cool, very old shipwreck um, mm-hmm. that wrecked on the Oregon coast long before European settlers had, you know, even even come there. So um, and this is from Smithsonian by Milan Solly. Neat. So um, just kind of cool. Yeah, some artifacts were found. Yeah, we have uh, had a shipwreck in actually Matagorda Bay here down where I live. That was like around this time period as well. Um, and it was a French ship called the La Belle. Oh, and they basically heard about that. I feel like I heard about that in like a movie or a documentary recently. Maybe. Huh. I'll Maybe. About that more. Um, it was uh, led by like a very f- a famous French explorer that I'm like forgetting the name of right now. So, but um, they basically like <laughs> ran aground because it's so fucking shallow here. Yeah. <laughs> and they like basically perished of like starvation and stuff because they couldn't like get to shore or like some of them drowned and it was like a whole thing. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Some of them I think did get to shore and like survived, but like <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> Golly. Yeah, that um, does not sound like a fun time. Yeah, I've actually uh, helped uh, set the sails on. We have a, a replica, a four quarter size replica tall ship um, that I was on the board for for a little bit. But um, I helped them put up the sails and repaint it. And we got to take it out for a little bit, which was kind of cool. But um, that's fun. Yeah, that thing sucks to steer. Let me tell you. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Robert de la Salle is the explorer. Yeah. So So, yeah. Story time. (laughs) Story time. (laughs) It's my turn today. Yay. Uh, So we're going to be talking about saturation diving today and the Bifur dolphin accident. So saturation diving is a specialized scuba diving technique that allows workers to access valves and other necessary machinery like bolts and hydraulic jacks for the gas and oil industry, specifically on rigs, wells, and pipelines. Um, So it's like super dangerous, right? Super badass, super dangerous, but also a very well-paying job. (laughs) Yeah. My brother always joked that he was going to become an underwater welder so that he could make like a ton of money. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, like when I was reading this story, I was like, you know, this would be a good gig to do for a couple of years, just make bank and then just skedaddle Yeah, and be good. Just do like some other job. But I also like the risk reward. It's not enough for me. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Considering like what the 
little bit I know about what happens in the accident. <laughs> yeah, I did not look up any photos per your request. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might Google some live for you to have a live reaction for me, but oh my god, I don't why think are I, you doing this to yourself? <laughs> I just thought about doing it and I don't after reading what happened, I decided that I I don't think I want to do it. I still okay. was curious, but after reading, I was like, I honestly like said out loud, I was like, that's fucking gross. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> the photos are fairly grainy, but you can tell, tell like what. Yeah. It's not, I, I was not prepared when I saw them there warning to anybody. If you're going to look this up, there are autopsy photos floating around the internet everywhere. Like no holds bar. It yeah. Is, like just, yeah. Just make FYI. sure you didn't eat, make sure you're not eating. Yeah. Or that you're ready to see this because it is it's gnarly and I made that mistake. And so I'm saving Haley from that mistake. Yeah. I think I could go for the rest of my life without seeing those photos. I think you could. Reading, reading everything was just enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm forever indebted. <laughs> hey, you're the um, one that brought this up to my attention in the first place. So yeah. this is your fault. It's <laughs> true. Um, so anyway, saturation diving was developed by, developed by the U S Navy in the mid 1960s. And is one of the most specialized jobs in the world with just about 336 divers employed throughout the world. Wow. That's a very, like we said, it's a very, um, dangerous job. Mm-hmm. It's a very specialized job, but it is also a very high paying job. Yes. Um, and so these guys are out on these oil rigs and everything that's like in the middle of the ocean. So if you guys have ever seen what that looks like, that's where they are and what they're working on. Mm-hmm. Saturation divers spend weeks to months on end in a small shipboard capsule, which is called a diving bell. And this is a pressurized, uh, living environment for them, essentially mm-hmm. that is pressurized to the same depth as the divers. Um, and as some of our listeners may know, pressure increases as you dive deeper. So at the surface, the atmospheric pressure is one atmosphere or 14.7 PSI and pressure inside of a bicycle tire is 65 PSI. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I pump up my bike tires, I have this irrational fear of them like popping in my face Yeah, because I can like see them getting and feel them getting like firmer. And I'm just like, I don't know, like what's <laughs> going to be too much. <laughs> <laughs> and then somehow I always end up like not pumping them up enough because then my weight is on it and it pushes it down more. And I'm like, right. well, I get scared. Um, <laughs> so anyways, these saturation divers can live in an environment of more than 110 PSI, which is way more than a bike tire. Mm. Um, oxygen Holy becomes, to- yeah, oxygen becomes toxic below around 80 meters. So mm-hmm. saturation divers m- must breathe a gas mixture in which much of the oxygen is replaced with helium. And this can cause an array of health problems from being exposed to the depths, pressures, and gases for over an extended period of time. Oh God, stresses me out. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Not to mention that the saturation divers are constantly risking death while they're on the job too. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't even like really diving deep because like just, and I'll get into this, but, um, I don't, I don't like diving deep just because like of the decompression time. Like, mm-hmm. I just can't, I'm very much one of those people that if I can't see it, I have a hard time like believing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So like with decompression stops and safety stops, I'm just like, is 15 minutes really enough? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I can tell you from diving 80 feet in Hawaii and completely missing my safety stop because I got caught by a current pushed up to the surface. It's You're like, enough. Oh fuck. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least at that depth, if it's longer then yeah, you might have some issues. <laughs> yeah. So helium has its own problems, like poor thermal properties, which wicks away the diver's body heat and leaves them perpetually chilled while they're in this environment. Ooh. And I am also sensitive to cold and I yeah. hate being cold. So I would not like this job. <laughs> at yeah. All. I don't regulate body temperature, hot or cold very well. Yeah. So uh-uh. <laughs> So helium can also cause neurological problems if inhaled too often below 300 meters. I don't want to scare the kids out there because 
it's this is below 300 <laughs> meters <laughs> so go suck some helium out of a balloon and have a field day I don't care that's not gonna be a problem wait wait wait. I have a question yeah do they all sound like little high-pitched babies they do so that was something <gasps> else yeah so that was something else that I was reading about was like it it manipulates their voices and they have to have these these scramblers with them to help everybody communicate clearly and understand oh what they're God. saying yeah so do it's a wild, wild environment down there do they wear them all the time though like or I when they're in so. there just like relaxing do they just like hey do you want to play some cards <laughs> oh my god I I definitely would say that they wear them while they're working because that's just, you know, safety precautions. Right. But I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't just take them off when I think because I think they're in their regulator or like their mask Uh, or whatever suit they're in. I think it's in that. Oh, my God. (laughs) So they're just like, hey, yeah. Hey, Dave, what do you want for dinner? Yeah. That would get so old oh my so God. quickly. Like I know for weeks. I think part of the neurological problem would just be hearing that noise all the time. I know you, you might just go crazy. Just <laughs> <laughs> like what's really the study on that? Like the properties of the gas or the properties of the sound of the voice? Like hearing yes. that constantly, yes. like weeks on end. I would go insane. This is um, the shit I want to know about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I know we've talked about this before on a previous podcast, probably like the, um, soccer kid rescue in Taiwan Mm -hmm. or Thailand. Mm -hmm. Um, but scuba diving involves breathing in pressurized air. So nitrogen dissolves in your body and tissues as, and as long as the weight of the water above you keeps them compressed, like you're fine. But when it's time to resurface the gas in your blood and tissues needs time to dissolve, which is why safety stops are incorporated into deep dives. And, um, if a diver ascends or excuse me, so what a safety, what a safety stop is, is a diver will ascend a couple feet and then stay at that depth for a few minutes to let all the gases dissolve and then ascend another few feet, stay at that depth for a period of time and so on and so on. So it's just Mm -hmm. constant, like little ascent, little time, little ascent, little time, Mm -hmm. like until all the gas is dissolved out of your body. Um, so if a diver ascends too quickly, all the gas bubbles will start to explode and cause decompression sickness, or what is also known as the bends, which can lead to physical complications, paralysis, and even death. Yeah. And so recently I had talked to somebody who had their brother had got bent and I was like, wow, she was telling me the story of what, how it happened. I was like, wow, that is very similar of what happened to my old roommate. She got bent like out of nowhere and they did everything right. Cause it was mm-hmm. for work. And so like, obviously there's precautions and regulations involved when you're doing this for a company and she's a seasoned diver has like hundreds of dives under her belt. Same with this guy that had it happen, but she surfaced after their second dive and couldn't use her legs. Just like, she's like, I can't get back up. And so like, I guess like the, this second guy, another story, um, something similar happened to him. I don't know if it was the same thing. Like he just couldn't use his legs or he just started feeling like woozy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, the doctors told him like that if you're a deep diver, essentially over a period of time, like you will have this happen to you. Oh my gosh. And, and so that, like, I heard that's what this girl told me. And I was like, that's so fucking crazy. Cause that just happened to my old roommate. And she has been deep diving for work for like the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what does that even do for a company that you're like a biologist that needs to deep dive for these like animals that you're studying? Yeah. And it's like, is there any research out there that says like, if you're a deep diver, you have like three to four years on you of deep dives before mm-hmm. you're risking getting bent out of nowhere. Yeah. Cause like what happened but for, to the both of them, there was just like a bubble in between their spine or something. And so then oh. they have to go in the chamber. Like, so did she, she stay, she didn't stay paralyzed. She's, I don't, I honestly like don't keep in touch with her, but from our mutual friends, like what I've heard is that she's back home with her parents and is going through like a physical therapy process. Wow. Yeah. They told her that she would never be able to like walk again. Mm-hmm. Like, 
easily. So I think I heard she's doing better than what they were expecting. Yeah. Like she, she can walk with a cane kind of. Gotcha. But yeah. I mean, she used to be super active. Like she would go rollerblading. She'd be running. She like would do like five K's mm-hmm. and half marathons. And, you know, she was very like active and for all of that to just be like taken away. Yeah. Yep. It just, I'm, that's very hard. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we know how it feels. Yeah. Family. Yeah. And so the other girl that was telling me about her brother, her brother's in a wheelchair for mm-hmm. the rest of his life. Wow. So. How deep were they diving? Well, she you know? worked with lionfish. So she was like hundred plus feet. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy, I think he was like same situation, but I don't yeah. know what he did for work or if it was work related or just recreationally. That's but, why I'm kind of okay just staying with open water and doing I know. dives. That's like, what I was saying. I've like, reached. I don't need to reach that that conclusion with myself that I'm like, I don't need to risk it for the biscuit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've dove a hundred foot on the bush, which is a a wreck out here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was cool. I can say I did a wreck dive, like check that box. But there's also a wreck dive out here called the Vandenberg. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think a hundred plus feet. And it's like one of those like fame dives that everybody goes to do. But like the current down there is, can be pretty sketchy and like, I've lived here for three years and I have heard probably one story per year of someone dying doing it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, that one, I'm like, I don't trust myself with Mm -hmm. my capabilities to go down that deep. And like, I, yeah, I would not be okay with that. Yeah. Um, It's putting my uh, safety, the miss safety stop that I had a little bit more in perspective. Yeah. Luckier than I thought, but anyway. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's scuba diving for you. Yeah. It's a great so these saturation hobby. divers. Yeah. It's a great hobby. I suggest getting into it, <laughs> but I just, I just stay like, you know, 25 feet open water, 30 feet, 30 50 feet. at the most. Yeah. Like, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can see the reef be down there it's like an underwater hike you see all these animals it's great and then you're you're fine you don't even need a safety stop if Mm -hmm. you're like doing 25 feet so all good um anyway so yeah that's that's just scuba diving uh these saturation divers are going deeper than that Mm -hmm. so clearly a lot more pressure need a lot more time to decompress what have you Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna take you back to the bifurd dolphin accident yeah, sorry. We're traveling back to 1983. It was a Saturday on November 5th at 4 a.m. in the Friggs gas field in the Norwegian sector of the North Sea, 100 meters below sea level. Okay. So how much is that in feet? I was just about to Google. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I was I, hoping you'd know. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that good at uh, meters to feet. I'm better at like smaller measurements. Yeah. Uh, because that's typically what I work with within the metric system. 328 feet. No, 3,280. How many meters is that? You said 100. Yeah. Sorry, I put a thousand. You put a thousand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have extra zero on there. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. That's still that's super deep for a dive. Yeah. Like, I feel like the deepest dives that anyone's ever done is like 400. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty fucking deep. Yeah. yeah. And they're working down there for like, weeks on end too Mm -hmm. so they they go down and then they go into what it's called the diving bell so like the diving bell is made up of these chambers and there's like these clamps that have that regulate the pressure and it's like a step-by-step process to safely get in and out once they're like working and everything that's kind of like being in space i would (laughs) imagine except yeah opposite pressure yeah it's like you're on yeah you're underwater yeah yeah that's yeah it's if you could, if you've ever seen a space movie where they pull all these like doors open and it's like a process and you have to wait for things to drain or whatever, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's what yeah. this is. Um, it's reminding me of the movie The Abyss, if you've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. Yeah. Which was started off really cool and then got really stupid, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. But, but same vibes, similar yeah. vibes. <laughs> The Bifurd Dolphin was a semi-submersible offshore oil rig built by Acre Engineering of Oslo in 1974. Weighing 3,000 tons and manned by a crew of 100, it was capable of drilling in waters up to 460 meters in depth, 
to allow construction and maintenance of the wellhead at these depths. The rig was equipped with a sophisticated saturation diving system built by French firm, the French firm Comex. Okay. <clears throat> and so, 460 meters is about 1500 feet. Yeah. yeah. Deep, 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 deep. A routine procedure was being conducted by four divers on the Biford Dolphin oil rig. The four divers were Edwin Coward, Roy Lucas, Bjorn Bergens, Bergerson, or Bergerson, and Trulis Helivik. They were all staying in the bell, and mm-hmm. the bell is made up of four chambers, like I said. Edwin and Roy were resting in chamber one, and in chamber two, Bjorn and Trulis were entering after their work. Chamber two was connected to the diving bell, which is like the trunk, and mm-hmm. it was connected by a trunk, actually. And the diving bell was secured by a clamp, mm-hmm. um, which two diving tenders would operate. And these diving operators were William Crammond and Martin Saunders. Mm-hmm. And I could not figure out how to screenshot um, the photos and the articles mm-hmm. uh, to send them to you. And then I got scared and I didn't want to look up anything. So I was just going to let you look those ones up yourself if you wanted to look up what the, the look I've already like. I've already <laughs> seen I've already seen um all of the the bad stuff. So yeah, it's a uh, cutie little diagram which is funny cuz I'm looking at the autopsy pictures because they came up. Yeah, right next to it. Yeah, no, it's fine. So. I'm fine. Everything's, Everything's fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um so in these situations uh, the pressure must be carefully balanced to ensure the diving bell can be disconnected from the chamber system. Uh-huh. The tenders were in charge of the procedure, which should go like this. Mm-hmm. Step one, the diving bell door is closed. Step two, pressure is increased in the diving bell to seal the door shut. Step three, chamber one is closed off from the trunk. Step four, the trunk is depressurized to a standard one atmosphere. So sea level. And then step five, the clamp is released, freeing the dive bell. So the dive bell is really like the transportation device. It mm-hmm. seems like with these dive to put these divers back into their um, quote unquote home. For the so night. yeah, it's basically taking them from the super pressurized water environment <clears throat> and putting them back into the normal like, environment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, despite being extremely experienced in this procedure, our boy Willie here made a fatal error (laughs) between steps two and three. So between the pressure increasing in the diving bell to seal the door shut and closing chamber one off from the trunk, William unexpectedly released the diving bell clamp. Mm -hmm. So the, the trunk was now open to the environment and the chamber which had a huge pressure difference and resulted with an explosive decompression. And like I said, if you ascend too fast, bubbles in your body explode, Mm -hmm. causes the bends. So all four divers were exposed to a pressure gradient far too extreme for the human body to withstand, resulting in their immediate and violent deaths. The capsule violently decompressed and blasted away from the trunk, killing William and severely injuring Martin. So those were the two tenders on the bell. Okay. While, while inside the chamber, the pressure dropped instantaneously from a nine atmospheres to one in an instant. So Trulis Helivik um, was crouching in the trunk and he was blown apart, scattering his body parts across the rig deck. One observer, this is probably the autopsy one that you've seen. That's pretty fucking gross. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> one observer described finding his liver, quote, complete as if dissected out of the body unquote. wow like it's oh. just but they everywhere. they didn't break they just went every it was like a yeah pinata <laughs> yeah so w- while part of his spine was found 10 meters above the chamber on the rig derrick i don't know How, what the rig is. so did it just top, like I guess. shoot up onto the rig like i guess just oh he exploded fucking exploded oh my god I have seen the spine. I've seen the spine. Ooh, yuck. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I don't mm-hmm. want to know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. The yeah. other divers in the chamber fared a little better. Autopsies of Edwin Coward, Roy Lucas, and Bjorn Bergerson 
revealed lumps of white fat clogging their arteries and veins, which means like their proteins had cooked and precipitated as their blood flash boiled. Mercifully, all four divers are believed to have died instantly and painlessly. I just com- just a quick yeah. boom. This is kind of like the whole Pompeii thing, you know? Yeah. That's what that's reminding me. <laughs> yeah, they just got fried. Oh my god. It's disgusting. And in parentheses on my notes, I wrote fucking gross. <laughs> uh, so wait, how yeah. many people died in this? Four? Or so were five there- people died and five one was died. severely injured. So it was okay. there was two tenders and four divers. One okay. of the tenders died and four of the divers died. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. It's gross. And so obviously, like when I was reading this, I was like, wow, this William guy, like he's fucked if like he survived this. I mean, that's a big lawsuit on his hands. Like, oh, he could go to jail. Yeah. For manslaughter. mm -hmm. So an investigation concluded that the accident was caused by human error Mm -hmm. as William was killed in the incident. It's not known why he released the clamp before the chamber hatch had closed. Mm -hmm. Investigators surmise that a combination of fatigue and deck noise may have led to a fatal miscommunication. However, another key factor was the saturation diving system itself, which despite recommendations from the Norwegian oil and gas regulator DNV had not been fitted with any interlocks, pressure gauges, or other safety features to prevent the diving chamber from Mm -hmm. being disconnected while pressurized. This fault in the equipment was not mentioned in the official accident report. And as such, the families of the divers killed received no financial compensation. Of course. Why would they mention that? Yeah. Why would they do that? <laughs> Believing the investigation to be a cover-up, the families formed the North Sea Divers Alliance, which finally succeeded in suing the Norwegian government and obtaining a settlement in 2008, 25 years after the accident. And the Biford Dolphin rig is still in operation, currently on contract with British Petroleum, and saturation diving continues to be widely used in the offshore oil industry, consistently ranking among one of the most dangerous but well-paid jobs in the world, with many divers receiving up to $1,400 per day. That's wow. more than my rent per day. <laughs> uh, while safety, close, yeah. yeah. It's like $300 more than my rent. <laughs> um, while safety measures and accident rates have improved significantly since 1983, the Biford Dolphin incident stands as a stark reminder of the dangers that always come with living and working in extreme environments. Yeah. And the deaths of the divers are considered to be one of the most gruesome deaths in history. Due mm-hmm. to the speed of the incident, it's expected that all divers passed instantly and painlessly, like I said, but the scene left behind was horrific. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when I listen to true crime podcasts too. And like the autopsy or like the crime scene photos are like readily available when you go to look, you just want to look up something yeah. about it and you're like, Oh no, uh, didn't want that. <laughs> Like, but the good news was William was absolved of all responsibility after the families had formed the alliance and sued the okay. government again. So he was absolved of all of that. So post post mortem, mortem, yeah. I mean, he still he's definitely suffered for his mistake. For yeah. Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, but didn't... that's a, it sucks because like I'm sure it was like part of. I mean, was a mechanical error mm-hmm. of, after they investigated it, but like it's so easy for that to have been like a human error Mm because they're tired and like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they, they're on helium. They can't really understand each other that well. So it's like, I could totally see how easy a miscommunication could happen down there. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you're down there for weeks too. It's just, I'm surprised that this hasn't happened. Something like this hasn't happened more often. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Considering like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these where, you know, we're going into space or we're going into like really specific, dangerous environments for human beings um, where you need a lot of mechanical equipment to survive. Mm-hmm. I feel like like equipment failure is like often cause of death, but also just human human error is often yeah. like and it's we call the show like Mother Nature will kill you, but we still like go into these environments that we know will kill us 
And mm-hmm. it's interesting. I'm like wondering why they don't, maybe they've started using drones more often now, or like, I feel Could like. Could be like ROVs or something. Yeah. We've had enough advancements that maybe we don't need to send human beings down there to do this, but. Yeah. I mean, like on those like deep sea nature shows, like they send those underwater bots down with like the mm-hmm. arms and stuff to collect samples. Yeah. No. Maybe he- humans are just still better because you can make decisions and I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a mechanic or an engineer or anything, but. The $1,400 a day. That's what I was saying. Just do that job for like a couple years, make bank. Yeah. Skedaddle. Yeah. Never have to worry about dying while working again. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a little bit while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, just you know, because oh, you guys so... are working like six hours a day too. Like they're working full like work yeah. hours. Yeah, for weeks on end. Yeah, and then like they're living in like what fifty square feet of space. Yeah, <laughs> like, I looked at it. Not a lot. It's not very big. It's it's very much giving like the space station. It's not very big. Yeah, yeah, that would go insane. So yeah, You'd... that's that's that story and. I used the sources you sent me, uh, so I didn't have to be traumatized by pictures. <laughs> so I used IFL science and, uh, today I found out.com for, okay. for the two that I read. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm just thinking you have to have so much trust in whoever is like manipulating the clamps and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, that's a lot of responsibility on their shoulders too. It's all so much pressure. Hat intended. <laughs> it wasn't, but. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Man. So I just recommend that nobody looks this up unless they, I don't know, some people are into that kind of thing, but I have never been into like seeing really, really gruesome pictures or videos. I just yeah. like talking about it. I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite okay without seeing that just like I said reading how like his organs had gone out and were still intact and then his spine is out of him just shot out of his body yeah I'm like I do not need like that's enough for me to know that I don't need to see anything and Uh it was funny because when Jillian was first telling me about this I was like oh what did their eyes bug out of their head like you know when fish get brought up too quick and she was like, no, it's not like that at all. Not. And I was like, oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, that's a lot. Um, I do have a question though about the guy who was severely injured. Like what yeah. happened to him? Do you know? I don't know. Let me look his name up and see what happened to him. That's a great question. Careful. Um, oh God, fuck. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So he's, he is still like intact. I was looking at, I'm looking, watching a YouTube video right now. Okay. Um, I'm looking at a picture of him. He's finally received, um, compensation. Mm-hmm. He says his face was so messed up that they didn't recognize me when they found me. They found me with my upper body partly under the four-ton diving bell. For a moment, they thought I was dead. So I tried to move my fingers so that they would see that I was still alive. Oh I knew god, I had to keep scary. breathing or else I was done. Oh my god. Um he had three fractures in his back and a broken neck. Um and but he I mean he's recovered and and walking. Um That's great for him. Oh my god. But yeah, so that's that's what happened and his face looks like it's been reconstructed pretty well, but oh my god, like could you imagine? So now that like we're talking about like the rescue part, like we just talked about the tragedy part, but like I'm going back into some of these articles that you sent me to see if it talks about like the actual rescue part, because like how, how did they know, like, how do they get down there to rescue them? I I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. This might be, have to be like an intro to the next episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have enough time to like try to read all this again and yeah figure that yeah out. let let us know like you know it says that the, ex- the diver was never able to work again because of the injuries that he suffered that day there yeah i didn't realize that there was a survivor from that incident 
I'm shocked that there's a survivor from that incident. Yeah. But it, it makes sense that what it would be one of the tenders though. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that's like the position where you would be, have the most chance of survival. Cause you're not right in the chambers, yeah. like decompressed. Yeah. That's intense though. Yeah. I want to know how they got down there too. Cause you have to like go under a lot of like pressurized, like, yeah. I mean, you'd have to do safety stops and stuff to get down there. I would think uh-huh. like even within the chamber itself. Yeah. And I mean, I'm assuming like people topside heard or like saw the explosion, right? Well, clearly they did because there was body parts on the deck. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine like what, like the actual bell looks like exactly. It's like a rectangle with like Mm -hmm. a bulb. Yeah. But like, is it connected to the surface? Like with air? You know what I mean? Like, is it connected to, is how else would. Do they bring it up? Like with a chain or something? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I was under the impression that like it was on some sort of like tethered system. Mm Mm-hmm. And like they drop it down, yeah. And then like it acclimates or whatever. And then I don't know. Well, if you figure it out, uh, we can we can talk about it on the next episode yeah. <laughs> a little bit I'm, before we get into our stories. Yeah, I'm gonna try to figure that out. I'll I'll look into it as well because I'm still trying to keep you from seeing. <laughs> I know I'm like a little nervous trying to do this. Um. All right. Well. That was uh that was gruesome. So I think we need a little uh, pick yeah. me up. So just imagine, ew, just imagine like working on the, the oil rig and then just like a spine falls. I like <laughs> like I I get paid a lot, but I don't get paid enough for this. I'd be like, holy shit! Like, uh, like oh my god, something happened. That's uh, I just you oh, couldn't. Thank you pay me enough to be honest yeah that's (laughs) totally fair but anyway let's talk good things so we can get off of these bad things tell me some good things um good things uh I guess uh Corey just had his birthday he's yeah happy birthday Corey he's an old man now he's officially three years older than me as of this week and this week only yeah (laughs) and then I'm turning 30 so (laughs) Uh, yeah our birthdays are literally a week apart but um yeah so that was nice to kind of get to celebrate that um I don't know other than that I guess I'm just glad that I can uh take a tiny little break at work before jumping back into the chaos so yeah it's very um, fair yeah but that's uh I guess that's my my thing good thing yeah yeah it's good quiet settle like little break right here Mm -hmm. and birthdays are celebrated it's Mm -hmm. good yeah I think I think I need it (laughs) yeah I told my boyfriend like because my good thing is like I'm going out of town this week I think it's like Thursday we leave town Mm -hmm. and we're going to Iowa for his like family's reunion and stuff and Mm -hmm. Although I'm nervous to meet like his whole entire family, like mom right. and dad's side, and he has like hundreds of family members. Um, it will be nice to get out of the state of Florida and like not think about anything because we have both been overworked way too much recently. Yeah, just, like, yeah. We both feel like we need to sleep for a week just to like not think about anything. And I was telling my dad that too. I was like, I I just need to get through like these next couple of days because. I told him, I was like, when you think about it, like I have constantly have been like mentally or physically just burned out because Mm -hmm. like ever since the like December of 2021, I've been trying to figure out like my medical problems. Like that's just kind of been like a constant battle. That's like mentally exhausting and emotionally exhausting. And then it's like trying to keep up with work on top of that. That's like physically exhausting. And then Mm -hmm. like thinking about having to move and then like in the process of buying a house and moving, like, it's just all of these, all of these things have been happening. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, I've been traveling and like the the whole first half of this month has been like traveling for funerals. And like February was my aunt's memorial service. 
And then April was my grandmother's funeral. Mm-hmm. And then May was my friend's wedding. Like it was just like, yeah. Then I got COVID and like, <laughs> it's just been a lot. And I'm like, yeah. I need, I just need to take a break from life for like a week. Don't yeah. think about anything. Like don't work on anything just to sleep. Like, yes. You know? Yeah. So that's my good thing is I'm leaving town soon. <laughs> yeah well I hope you have fun in Iowa yeah I'm excited I've never been to Iowa so it'll be fun yeah well maybe you'll get to sleep just from like the lack of things to do (laughs) I am so excited to do nothing very excited yeah Uh, actually at ICAST one of the the people that was staffing the exhibit with us Mm -hmm. he is really into like personality types and he's like delved into like all the ins and outs of what each personality type is Mm -hmm. and so I told him that I am an ENFP or ENFJ I am Um, either an INTP or an INTJ or INFJ I'm one of those which is also often like the when they do like the characters for the Myers-Briggs tests like yeah what put all your characters like from movies and stuff it's always the super villains and I'm like I don't that's funny what that means about me (laughs) yeah so I told him that I am the protagonist so that's an ENFJ but then I like took it again last night because I was like curious again and I was an ISFJ whatever that opposite is like Mm -hmm. the first two opposite but like I was looking at the percentages and it's like I am like one question of like wavering to like change that to like an E and an F or mm-hmm. I and S, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm like right there in the middle. And it was mm-hmm. like, after a long week, a lively party is just what I need. And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I would love to stay inside and sleep on my couch and watch movies all day. But yeah. my mom, she was like, yeah, but like you could also go to a party. Like you're not totally turned off by it. I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. Like if someone was like, hey, we're having like a barbecue and yard games. And I had a long, exhausted week. I would be like, okay, like I'll stop by for a bit and hang out with you guys. Yeah. You know, but yeah. my mom, she was saying like, she's more of like a, the introvert. Cause she was like, that sounds like a nightmare to me. And I would never go. I yeah. Like, oh. I think as we age, if we're kind of, if you're kind of on that border between extrovert and introvert, you kind of like start shifting a little bit one way or the other. So I feel like you're more of an extrovert. Yeah, but I feel like now that you're working and tired and all that shit, like you can understand why an introvert would not want to go to yeah. a party. And I feel like now that I am more confident in myself, less socially awkward because I used to very much be an introvert, and now I feel like I kind of ride that line. Yeah, like, I enjoy social events now, and it doesn't really <laughs> stress me out that much. Yeah. I still really enjoy my alone time. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's not like, oh my god, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. if like aging does that helps with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would make sense, right? Because it's like we grow and learn as we age, so it's mm-hmm. like uh, your personality can fluctuate too. But this guy yeah. said that it, sh- that it should never change. I'm like, I don't know if that's, I really believe that or not. No, that's yeah. not true. That's but. absolutely not true. Okay. So I think <laughs> I figured out the Bifur dolphin thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to tack it on here because it's bothering me. It I think me too. the pressurized chambers are actually on the surface of the rig. But they're pressurized to match the depth that they're going to. And then they get in the diving bell. And they go down. down. Okay, that makes so much more sense. But the graphics I was looking at made it seem like they were down at that depth. I know. I was getting confused. Yep. Uh, I found a graphic that made it all click. (laughs) Cool. So there's an escape hatch like from the chambers to the boat, but I'm sure you have to like pressurize to go into them. So it might've still taken them a while to actually get into the chambers to like find that, that guy who was still alive. alive. Yeah. And I'm sure he doesn't really know how long he was there because he was blacking out and like passing out. But um, yeah, so that's 
what it is. It also explains <laughs> how that spine landed on the deck, like real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was imagining then, it deep underwater and then like and then all of traveling. his body parts just yeah. shooting up like a rocket. And I was that's like, what I was envisioning. What? Too. Like, that's a long way to go. <laughs> like that's a lot. Uh, so that's what it is. It's like okay. a hyperbaric chamber kind of, which are gotcha. on the surface. Makes yeah. so much more sense. So they, okay. people were probably like, holy shit, let's lift this thing up. And yeah. Now cool. you know. Now you don't have to look at the bodies. The more you know. Yeah, we saved you some searching. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. welcome. <laughs> yep. Okay, so. Uh, Where can we find each other? <laughs> yeah, if you want to keep listening to this gross podcast, where can our listeners find us? You guys can find us on the social medias, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Instagram at mother nature will kill you podcast. And we're on Twitter at MNWKY podcast. Uh, what else? Uh, streaming sites, Spotify, Google, Apple, any streaming platform. You can listen to us there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we also have a website where you can listen to us there as well. It is mother nature will kill you podcast.com. And yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if you have a survival story of your own, that you would like to submit for us to read aloud on this nasty little podcast, <laughs> you, uh, can submit it to our, um, website. Uh, we have a submission page. You just type that little thing up and hit send, and we will read it aloud, um, on the podcast at some point. Um, so you don't have to have survived an incredible pressure accident from a saturation dive on an oil rig, but if you have, we do want to hear about it, but maybe not the, all of the gruesome details. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> just tell me you survived. It. You just tell me you survived a saturation diving accident. I'd be like, wow, that's insane i'm happy for you and then that will be that yep <laughs> i don't need to know anything else but if you've had a situation where you were a little uncomfy in nature or you were out on a hike or in a boat and something happened to you that was a little scary or like me you missed your fucking safety stop on a dive and you're just right it. <laughs> there we go um so yeah and if you want to support this podcast but you don't have any money to spend because we live in a capitalist hellscape um please write us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms basically just helps bump us up the um algorithm makes you know us more visible to um other listeners who are interested in hearing about this kind of terrifying and gross things mm -hmm. which there are a lot of people out there who find these kind of things interesting apparently so including myself so. yeah um I'm just along for the ride really I know what I'm, I'm just for. I'm just like I, <laughs> I do appreciate us doing these podcasts in the morning so I have time to, to like decompress deal. no pun intended but oh yeah God. to deal with it and as Corey said, uh, like no murder before 11 PM, right. Or after, after, or after, oh yeah. I'm sorry. I said the wrong words. No murder after 11 PM. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. I'm right there with Corey. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess with that, it wraps it up. I have a very recent, uh, survival story to talk about next week that has a TikTok connection. So Oh, if you're on TikTok, get ready to go look at some videos. Um, I have not been on the TikTok recently. So if you've been sending me stuff, I'm sorry. I do I enjoy, I do enjoy though, like when I go back on TikTok and it's like, you have five unread messages and it just takes you to the top of like mm -hmm. all the messages. And it's just like, you get to watch all the videos in one sitting. And you're like, oh, these are specifically catered to me. <laughs> yes. It's like, gotcha. 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 Um, so yeah, uh, so we'll be, uh, bringing it a little bit, a little bit up next week. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool stuff. Well, until next time, stay safe, but most of all, stay curious explorers. See you later and make sure you take your safety stops. Uh, goodbye. <sighs>